1: We'd like to welcome back Lucas Canone, International Relations Major at Columbia University and former Deputy President at the Center U.S. Relations Group Engagement at Tufts. He's going to be speaking on the state of China and Taiwan in light of Putin's war in Ukraine. Lucas, welcome back to the show.
2: It's great to be back.
1: First off, can you give us some background first on why we should care about Taiwan and the threat China poses?
2: Yeah, I think I'll start a little bit first with Taiwan's importance and maybe if you want we can dive in a little bit on Sino-US relations and the relationship with Taiwan, historically. Uh, sure. a little bit shorter. I think first, I like to start um, with Taiwan's importance um, strategically, economically, and above all, all politically. Um, a lot is said as semiconductors in Taiwan, Taiwan dominates that industry, but I think I'd rather move past that and focus on a little bit more of the geopolitical and political importance of Taiwan Taiwan is in a position where it is considered an unsinkable aircraft carrier, it can either be used against China or used by China to threaten the rest of the the region and if China were to take Taiwan and conquer it like Xi has said he wants to or like Putin wanted to do with Ukraine, then China would be in a position to project power across all of Asia, potentially threatening um, Japan, the Philippines and and other countries in the region, it would force nations in Southeast Asia to bandwagon with the Chinese, with the CCP, and with the PRC, and it would be less costly for nations to do so because if the United States fails to support Taiwan or if Taiwan is conquered by the CCP, then as far as most nations in the region and quite frankly the world are concerned, it's clear that China is on the rise and America is on dec- in the decline. So if Taiwan is lost, then... It's the beginning of chinese preeminence in asia and that will expand more broadly towards a rival you know more rigid cold war situation between the united states and china and china would be in a better position to challenge the united states in the pacific and around the world so it would signal the end of the unipolar moment if china takes it it would threaten japan either japan bandwagons with china or develops its own nuclear capability as they have said they would consider um, so it's a very unstable situation if Taiwan were to fall. And finally, really, I think the political importance is that Taiwan's mere existence is a threat to the CCP. The Chinese Communist Party is said a lot about the fact that a, a Confucius Chinese society cannot prosper under democratic and uh, regime, but that's clearly not true, as Taiwan illustrates. Chinese uh, a nation of Chinese heritage, of Confucius heritage, like Taiwan, can in fact prosper and be a vibrant democracy under democratic a democratic regime. And that directly challenges the CCP's legitimacy and more broadly, Xi Jinping's own calls and legitimacy as the head of the Chinese Communist Party. So it has a lot of geopolitical Uh, economic and also uh, domestically for China, political impact, because China could be really be considered the West Berlin, if you will, of this new, you know, twilight struggle in which we find ourselves with the PRC.
0: I I do have a follow up question about Japan. You mentioned that Japan was considering developing nuclear capabilities. Mm -hmm. Since Japan has lost the Second World War, I know they've been under strict military restrictions by the US and the former allies. So is developing a nuclear capability even an option for Japan?
2: Well, Japan has been revising its constitution for a long time. Uh, The former Prime Minister, Shinzo Abe, clearly wanted to go a more militaristic route. I mentioned the nuclear capability because obviously right now Japan is not developing one or wants one. But the problem is that if Taiwan were to fall... Japanese leaders recognize that Taiwan is in a position where they can project power against Japan, and it's in a very risky position. Uh, Japan's position in the Senkaku or Diaoyu Islands um, would be untenable, and its overall wider vulnerability as an island would be heightened. So, as I said, it could either probably bandwagon with China, or it could go the other route. And try to counterbalance it potentially through developing a nuclear capability. But that's a very bad, like uh, everything goes wrong, worst case scenario. But the Japanese have been, you know, sometimes occasionally considered a nuclear capability if the United States does not commit to its defending them through the mutual defense pact we have with them. But of course, right now they're not doing that. They could develop one in the future if they see the United States' commitment to them is not strong enough. So I think if you will, if you guys let me, I think I'll just go over a little bit of a history of our relationship with Taiwan, and then um we can pivot towards my main argument, which would be the change of US policy from strategic ambiguity to what Richard Haas from the Council of Foreign Relations deemed strategic clarity. Yeah,
1: just go over a little bit of history and then we'll then we'll go. Okay. You
2: know. Well, as you know, that uh, there was a civil war in China, um, the nationalists versus the communists, the communists won and the nationalists were exiled to Taiwan. During the Cold War, Taiwan was very, initially, very important because, well, on, on the one hand, it delegitimized the CCP, as I've said before, and it created a rival Chinese government where both Taiwan and China were claiming to be the real China. And this led to the one China policy where we recognized Taiwan to be the real China and the PRC to be, as uh, Chiang Kai-shek said, like a rebellion and uh, illegitimate government. We created a mutual defense clause with the Taiwanese in the 50s, but that mutual defense pact, and I want—I think I'm mentioning it because it's important, um, the mutual defense pact at the time was a little bit vague and ambiguous. It stipulated that the United States would only come to the defense of Taiwan if China attacked it, if the PRC attacked it. And I think that's going to be important going forward for my argument. So I want you to keep that in mind. But again, that, that agreement was vague, Eisenhower did not want to go to war over Taiwan, so he was always kind of iffy about the whole situation, and because China was so important geopolitically, American presidents recognized that China, we had, had to negotiate at some point with China, especially after the Sino-Soviet split. So once President Nixon came along, he tried to it began normalizing relations with China after his visit to Beijing. And that's when we have the 1972 Shanghai communique, where we basically kicked the can down the road saying there is one China and, rec- and started the eventual recognition of, of the PRC as being the real China, not, to, not Taiwan. Eventually, that led to a formal recognition under Carter. But there was something called the 1979 Taiwan Relations Act. And I want to read one part of it that says any action aimed at settling the Taiwan question through any means, manner other than peaceful means is a threat to the peace and security of the Western Pacific area and of grave concern to the United States. What essentially this led to was a policy of strategic ambiguity. And to outline what it means essentially is that the United States does not want the Taiwan question, the Taiwan dispute to be settled through force. What that means is that we don't want the PRC to invade Taiwan. and But we also, in accordance with the one China policy, which stipulates that there is but one China and that Taiwan is part of that China, that we do not want Taiwan to declare independence because China, the PRC, has said that if Taiwan declares independence, that's the red line and they'll go to war over that. So with strategic ambiguity, the whole point of the policy was to keep both sides of the Taiwan Strait guessing. We would keep China guessing over whether or not we would intervene if they tried to invade. And we would keep Taiwan guessing over whether the United States would come to its aid in the event of the Chinese invasion, because that would be a deterrent against a premature declaration of independence by the Taiwanese. And that's strategic ambiguity in a nutshell. It basically stipulates that there is a, through the Taiwan Relations Act, we are going to give Taiwan all the weapons it needs to defend itself. But there is no clear outlined, you know, paragraph or stipulation that says that the United States will go to Taiwan's defense, like, say, NATO or Japan. It just states that it will be of grave concern to the United States, and that can be anything in diplomatic parlance. So that strategic ambiguity has been a policy that has been fairly successful up until this point. It has prevented Taiwan from declaring independence, and it has prevented China from settling the dispute through unknown peaceful means, i.e. the use of force.
0: Yeah, well, thank you for running for a history of U.S. policy. I want to shift to current American policy. So we recently saw President Biden state that there would be a military response from the United States if China attacked Taiwan. But White House staff and the Joint Chiefs of Staff have tried to recenter the message squarely on the one China policy. So what's up with that? What do you make of that? I think
2: this goes to the argument, really, of what the policies should be. Um, President Biden certainly seems I I agree with him. He seems to think that the United States should come to the defense of Taiwan in the event of an invasion. Um, He also if you read the statement itself, he did outline that it would only be if China was the aggressor. And that's certainly what um, Secretary Austin seemed to clarify in a, course, in a, in a press conference. So um, I think right now, the problem is that the, pol- there's a little bit of ambiguity about strategic ambiguity, if you will. The president of the United States is saying, we will come to Taiwan's aid and seems to, you know, indicate that it will be unconditional in the event of an invasion. Um, the White House backtracks and says, well, actually it's according with the one China policy. So I think this is really what triggered my um, decision to write about this topic and talk about it. Um, I think it's time to revisit strategic ambiguity and it's time to think about the relationship between the United States, Taiwan and China in a different way in light both of the invasion of Ukraine and of China's growing capabilities as the second most powerful nation on earth. Um, Right now, the strategic whole point of strategic ambiguity was to keep both sides guessing, but now, because of Taiwan's importance geopolitically, economically, and also domestically for China, I think we should increasingly consider that, well, actually, we should come to Taiwan's aid unconditionally, like President Biden seemed to supply, rather than sticking with this policy of strategic ambiguity, and that's what I was hoping we could, um, that's what I'm hoping we can talk about today, right now about the need to shift from strategic ambiguity to the policy of strategic clarity, if you will, like Richard Haas indicated a, a, a year ago in foreign affairs. So that would be the, the, the main trigger that happened was President Biden's you know, decision to, um, is his statement that kind of changed, seemed to change policy. And um, I think the reasoning as to why I think Biden's doing that, I think is correct and sound but i don't think it's very clear as to why the american people are not really understanding why there's a need to change policy and why taiwan is so important
1: so i are saying we should abandon strategic ambiguity for the most part and just say outright that if china attacks taiwan basically tries to bomb infrastructure try to pull an amphibious assault per se or cyber attack that we should absolutely use the u.s military to go after china basically not basically do what we wouldn't do for Ukraine.
2: I'm, I'm, I w- that would be my argument, yes. I would say that there's a time for strategic clarity, um, as you said, in the event of an invasion of Taiwan, or any attack, like gray matter conflict, like cyber, it's a little bit different. But if it's clearly like what happened in Ukraine, you know, where you're seeing bombings and ships going across the strait and there seems to be an invasion, at that point, and assuming, of course, it's not preceded by a formal declaration of independence by Taipei, then the United States should treat Taiwan as any other treaty partner, one that should be protected by the US military. Um, I would note that this policy would not abandon the one China policy. And I think that's some of the misconception that some people have. Um, I would continue the American policy towards China, which is that there is but one China, and that Taiwan is part of that China. It's only a matter of the resolving of the taiwan dispute note that the united states accepts the one china policy but we've never recognized that taiwan is part of china we have not formally recognized we just accept it and diplomatic parlance that means yes but also we don't really you know think you're right so in accordance with the one china policy which we accept and in our long standing policy outlined in the shanghai 1972 communique that we would oppose any use of force to resolve the Taiwan Strait dispute. We would support the peaceful resolution of the Taiwan Strait dispute. And in order to create the peaceful means by which to resolve the dispute, we would maintain a clear commitment to Taiwan, basically telling China, we acknowledge that Taiwan is part of China, but we reject any use of force to resolve the dispute itself. So it wouldn't be uh, an argument in favor of Taiwanese independence, it would be a, an argument in favor of saying, this is what we w- will do if you attack. We will defend Taiwan with our military capability, which is still the best one in the world. And we will continue to, in accordance with the one China policy and our policy across the Taiwan Strait, this would induce a peaceful resolution of the Taiwan Strait dispute eventually.
0: So if, if China does invade Taiwan, and like you said, the, U, the U.S. takes what you think it should and uses its military to defend Taiwan, do you not have any fears about possibly escalating
2: tensions with China, which is itself a nuclear power? So uh, the, the whole point of strategic clarity would be to prevent an invasion from happening in the first place. But um, if it was to happen, when, wouldn't if, you worry about that escalating? I mean, it would hap- the, the worry right now, is that because of strategic ambiguity, the Chinese may think that if we, if they attack, the U.S. may do nothing. But clearly, the United States at this point, through the policy of strategic ambiguity, is leaning towards defending Taiwan. So it would be towards avoiding a potential situation like that. Now, if obviously there is always a risk, um, if you go to defense of Taiwan, it would be you know mean war between the United States and China in all in all intents and purposes. But here's the thing: if we are ambiguous about our commitment towards Taiwan, and if we continue to like you know skirt across the whole situation with the president saying we will defend them, then the people in this in, in the White House saying not to that we are actually we're no we're, we're not doing that we're we're continuing with the one China policy and you know all these other policies since the 70s and 80s um, that undermines the deterrent capability of the rhetoric coming out of the United States. In order to build deterrence, especially in a faraway area like uh, like Taiwan, you really have to be clear and you really have to build that deterrence to make it credible. And the only way to make it credible is to be clear about and unequivocal about, okay, if China does this, then we're going to do that. And we have to communicate that with the Xi. Now, if our goal with that policy, my goal with that would be to prevent aggression, to prevent a war from happening, because that's what deterrence is all about, from deterring aggression if china tries to go for the invasion then we obviously have to respond the risk obviously will be that you know china could use a nuclear weapon to signal its commitment and then that would escalate but my f- fear is that a dictator like xi is like putin you know he has said multiple times he wants taiwan how do you stop a dictator like that you're not ambiguous about your commitments you don't say one thing and then say another and you don't try to appease them, the only way to stop a dictator like that is to really signal a commitment to go to war, if he tries to do something like that, and if we do that you know. That creates a sense of well, China still very dependent on the United States and the global economy, if China tries to do this, it would be a huge huge event, and it would potentially signal the end politically of Xi Jinping so if we create that deterrent capability, the aim would be to prevent a war from happening. Now, once a war starts, you know, it's crisis management situation, you know, try to escalate and give the the opponent the opportunity to de-escalate. But the best way to prevent that from happening in the first place, in my view, would be to clearly and unequivocally state, this is the red line you should not cross. If you cross it, we will do this. And that will make China think twice about potentially using force to resolve the Taiwan Strait dispute.
1: What are the odds of China, Xi Jinping, actually pulling the trigger?
2: It's difficult to say, but I would like to outline a couple of things that, to me at least, as someone that has studied China and Chinese foreign policy for a long time, and particularly Chinese use of force a long time. Um, can be a little bit troubling in the current environment we find ourselves in. Um, The CCP's track record suggests that the use of force against Taiwan is likely because of the way that China has used force in the past. The Chinese tend to operate through the prism of closing windows of opportunity and opening windows of vulnerability. Now, what does this mean? It means that China, you will use force if there's an opening window of vulnerability they will try to use force as early as possible to prevent that opening window of vulnerability from expanding. It will be like trying to nip it in the bud before it becomes a huge threat. That's what they did during the Korean War. They were afraid that the United States would push for all the way north and establish a permanent you know, presence on its border. So Mao opted to strike first and invaded Korea before the United States could do that because there was an opening window of vulnerability with US forces on the Korean Peninsula. But there's also the po- prospect of closing windows of opportunity. The Chinese have used force when they sense that there's an opportunity window that's closing to achieve a particular objective. They did so against Vietnam right before the communist forces from the North Vietnamese would, took Saigon. They took some islands from South Vietnam because they sense a closing window of opportunity to take those islands and my fear. And, and they also sort of did this a similar strategy against in, in India during the Sino-Indian border dispute. So this is what really concerns me. The United States and Taiwan, as well as Japan and other countries in the region are increasingly making the necessary investments in military capability that would make an invasion of Taiwan very difficult, if not impossible. So China can in fact see that there's a closing window of opportunity if they don't act now they may not be able to do act in 10 years or five years or seven years or you know whatever it's so, like
1: putin's um, rationale is exactly. messed up rationale exactly so if china
2: senses that there's a closing window where they can finally reunify with taiwan and she can essentially be raised to the same position as Mao Zedong or Deng Xiaoping in Chinese CCP history, then they might actually gamble and think, well, we might not have a chance to do this in 10 years. We have to do it now. And right now, the United States has a policy of strategic ambiguity about whether or not we will come to the defense of Taiwan. You know, a lot of people are saying that Ukraine is distracting the United States, That we're sending $40 billion that we should to defend Ukraine, but we're not doing enough to defend Taiwan now. Some people are concerned that we're, we have over 100,000 troops in, in, in Europe and Asia is a little bit on the back burner right now. So if we do not clearly and unequivocally signal, well, we will go to war to, to defend Taiwan, this is a red line, you should not cross a vital national interest, then the risk of China seeing, sensing a clo- an opening a closing window of opportunity is higher. And I will also note that the Chinese use force in order to upend long-term trends in security politics. They did so against the Soviets in the Ussuri River skirmish. I probably mispronounced that. I apologize. But their use of force is looking at the long-term trends. And right now, China is in a position where its, its economy is in a very bad spot because of zero COVID and and structural issues in their investment policies. Their demographics are going to collapse in a couple of years. They're, they're facing a, a huge demographic crisis in the coming decades. Right now, they're facing a, a huge challenge from the United States. Regional partners like the Quad are ganging up on them. And internationally, China, it, as as she, as much as she would like to deny it, he is as tied to the Ukraine conflict as most of people in the Russian Security Council. I mean, when Putin went to Beijing and signed that no limits partnership he she tied himself to Putin's invasion and China's facing backlash as a result so all these trends signal that China is in a position in a long-term position where it may not be able to achieve its long-held desire of being the preeminent power in the world so there's a closing window of opportunity to act and how do you prevent China from acting Well, some people say, keep strategic ambiguity, don't, you know, stick it up to the Chinese. I think the best way to maintain the peace in the short term, because the short term is the biggest threat here. I mean, in a a couple, in one decade, China won't be able to use force, even if it wanted to. Taiwan, the US, Japan, we're all making the necessary investments to prevent that. Right now, we're not. The only thing that could prevent that from happening is A, prioritizing Asia, but B, Clearly signaling that we will use force to defend Taiwan, and if China uses force, that also means war against the United States. And I think, given how bad the invasion is going for Putin, at least for now, um, and given the fact that she is still, you know, in the process of securing another term, um, that will probably, you know, force Chinese leaders to think twice before they act. And essentially makes war less likely if we clearly signal that we are willing to go the extra mile and we are willing to risk war in order to prevent Taiwan from being taken now in the event of a conflict you know that's going to be all bets are off at that point but if conflict happens that means the turns fails but I think the the argument shouldn't be well what happens when the war starts the argument should be how do we prevent the war from happening in the first place? And how do you signal to an opponent that you're willing to defend something and 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 you know incur a significant costs? You have to build the turns and you have to be credible. During the Cold War, it took a long and very hard push by the United States to convince the Soviets that we would go to war if they attacked West Berlin. West Berlin was very vulnerable and would have fallen in the event of a conflict, but we signaled that attacking West Berlin meant attacking NATO, and that triggered the whole you know, U.S. mutual defense pact and it would lead to nuclear annihilation. In Taiwan, we can do the same, a similar venture and say, build that deterrence, build that credibility, slowly make it clear and credibly that we will use force. Because as I might sound like a warmonger, but the problem is in order to prevent a war, you sometimes have to make the costs of war so high That an opponent won't risk it and right now it seems with strategic ambiguity and with biden making one statement and his lighthouse saying something else there's no credibility there's no credible deterrent i mean the chinese could credibly think well the united states is so divided over domestic issues right now with the situation in texas at the supreme court etc they might not risk war but if we slowly build that deterrent capability and say Clearly and signal to the Chinese, we are willing to go that extra mile that makes them think twice and that closing window of opportunity in which they can you credibly use force and probably would use force if we are to go by you know past precedent. Then we're in a very vulnerable situation, unless we clearly signal our willingness to come to Taiwan's aid and that's what my policy, uh, the policy of strategic clarity, I think, would do rather than strategic ambiguity, which I don't think is as credible right now, given the statements by the president.
1: I think it's a good point to wrap up on. Lucas, thank you so much for coming on. This has been very illuminating. You know, come back anytime. We'd love to hear your thoughts on all sorts of uh, other issues of China and international relations and what the U.S. should be doing. Thank you. (laughs) That concludes this episode of Gen Zers Talk Politics. Be sure to join our Discord server, follow us on Instagram at Gen Zero's Talk Politics, and on Twitter at Gen Zers Talk Poly with an I, and add or email us to ask your burning questions.
0: Thanks for joining us, and we hope to see you next time.